right, it's finally here. Game week, 2017, week one, episode of Under the Dome. We've got um, our special guest, Bob Rose, who I believe is currently pulling a Sammy Hagar, showing that he can't drive 55, trying to get home from working time so he can join us. I kind of gave him a little bit of extra time here, but he'll pop in during the show. He'll pop in during the show. Uh, I'm your host, Alan Ulrich. Uh, I got my partner in crime here, Mr. Sean Williams. How are you doing tonight, Sean? Fantastic. I hope everybody can hear me. We have met with the the gods of sound and uh, with the devil kind of sort of in a roundabout way. Uh, our sponsors, Fan First Productions. More on that. Probably... This Saturday night, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., doing our, what has become, uh, well, I guess you can say, I guess you can say it's uh, it's becoming a, a ritual because uh, we did it last year, and this makes two years in a row. Uh, anyway, this Saturday night, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., we are doing our annual NFL kickoff special. It'll be a an expanded two-hour show where we will have a very special guest that I personally am waiting unbelievably to get to meet and, and to uh, to talk to. His name is Herbie Teope. He came from the Kansas City area after having covered the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he came highly recommended with some of my friends that cover the Chiefs as well. Uh, he's now the beat writer for the Times Picayune for the New Orleans Saints, and he's going to be joining us as our very special guest uh, for our kickoff show. Uh, and following Herbie's, uh, bear with me. I, I have a head cold, medicines, and the whole nine yards. But hey, da 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 da. It's Monday Night Football. Um, oh, if you're going to do it, you got to do it right. Come on, you damn thing. Two sound. Uh, my, my, okay. I'm so lame. My speakers just are not good enough. <laughs> anyway. It's all about Monday Night Football now. There's no more training camp. There's no more preseason. There's no more who in the hell did we keep and who did we cast off. The 53-man roster is set. And now all roads lead to Minneapolis. And God willing, this is going to be the first of two appearances in Minneapolis this year for the New Orleans Saints. Absolutely. Absolutely. It will be. Y'all will figure it out later. But anyway, uh, getting back, uh, Saturday night, we're going to uh, we're gonna touch on this towards the end of the show as well. Uh, but right now, we want to, as I mentioned before, we want to thank Fan First Productions. Uh, we want to invite you guys to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Uh we love our followers. We interact with our followers. You can reach us at 79 Saints, at JD Pinto 3, at 
Drew's Dad 3721. And collectively, you can reach us on our Twitter show account, which is at Under the Dome PO1. Let's talk about football. Uh, if, <laughs> if anyone wants to know, <clears throat> what's the name of that song? That's the traditional Monday Night Football song. It is not by Sam Spence. The song is called Heavy Action. Oh, Bob just joined in. Uh, it's called Heavy Action. It's by uh, Johnny Pearson. You can find it on YouTube. You can look up Monday Night Football or the song Heavy Action. And uh, it actually was not the original Monday Night Football theme song for those of you who are as old as me. Uh, the original Monday Night theme song actually is this electronic sounding thing that begins uh, in the truck uh, where they talk about, you know, take two, camera one, and they show the clock, and it's, you know, the whole bit. That song, Heavy Action, doesn't become part of the Monday Night theme song until the mid-70s. So a bit of useless trivia for those of you all who are wondering. I was, I've wondered that many, many moons ago before we had like our own show and everything. So I'm glad you said that. That just struck me as funny. Uh, and, then, and then in 1989 is when they brought in Hank Williams Jr. to sing uh, uh, his version of All My Rowdy Friends Are Here for Monday Night. Uh, and that was the downfall of modern civilization. Anyway, <laughs> it is my distinct pleasure. <coughs> Not just a very special guest, but uh, a member of the family. Uh, this guy is uh, unofficial probably one partner. of my uh, friends. Huh? Uh, unofficial this guy is probably partner. one of my closest friends. I annoy him at work every day. Uh, we vent to one another uh, regularly, I might add. A lot more lately. We also... Uh, we happen to share a lot of the same views, which really, really makes me fearful for this man's future. <laughs> From the Canal Street Chronicles, uh, join us in welcoming Bobby Rose. Bob, how are you, brother? I'm pretty good, gentlemen, and uh, thank you for having me on yet again. Uh, how is everybody tonight? Doing good. Have you caught your breath from that jog home yet? Oh, my God. I, I was literally running up the steps, tearing off my suit as I was going when you text me. <laughs> okay. First things first. How's my nephew doing? Uh, nephew nephew is sleeping on his mom's lap at the moment. Well, give mom and nephew our love and affection. All right. We had our uh, long-awaited, heavily anticipated 53-man roster cuts this week. Uh, Bob, I'll start with you. What do you, what would you deem as the very most surprising cut? Uh, I got to go with Kuhn, uh, John Kuhn. Um, I, uh, I wasn't following the news wire, so I don't know if they re-signed him today. Um, uh, rumor, Not yet. rumor, rumor. Not yet. Yeah, they haven't, they haven't signed him back yet. Okay. Um, I mean, there's a lot of rumors flying around that they're going to make a, a few more moves before the game and bring them back in. Uh, but as far as name recognition, uh, I got to I got to say, Coon was the biggest, uh, you know, biggest surprise. Uh, other than that, guys, not, none of the other guys really surprised me. 
there were there were a few minor disappointments. Um, you know, Adam Big Hill, Arthur Millette uh, being released, but of course brought back. Uh, I have a feeling we'll be seeing them up on the uh, up on the fifty three man at some point uh, this season, uh, and looking forward to that. Uh, the, this is probably telling too, but the fact that the Saints released all but what one or two of their backup offensive linemen. That tells you a lot about what this coaching staff feels like the offensive line depth is like. So that was that was what shocked me the most. Yeah. Alan, um, how about you? Was there anyone any move that surprised or shocked you in any way? None that shocked me. Um, just about everybody who got released. I pretty much um, going back to the way, way, way too early preseason roster, I had uh Almost every one of those names listed as people who weren't going to make the team. Um, you know, I know about Adam Big Hill. We can talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Dar- uh, Darius Victor was another fan favorite. Arthur Millette, um, you know, those three guys I know the fans were really upset about. Um, I had Stefan Anthony not making a team at yeah. one point. Um, I think – the Saints ideally would have liked to have traded him, but a high ankle sprain kept them from trading him because uh, they don't want to release him outright. Uh, but I, I think they would have liked to have moved him to get maybe depth in the cornerback position. It just didn't work out that way. And when you talk about uh, offensive linemen and how few offensive linemen they kept, because I believe the only ones they kept were uh, – Laribus and uh, Calamente, am I correct? Yeah, that's uh, what I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah Laribus and Calamente. I know Bryce Harris is back, but I have a feeling Bryce Harris is going to do the uh, Khalif Barnes tour this year. I think they're going to be cutting him and bringing him back every week just about uh, for practices. But come game day, he's not on the field. He's not playing. Um because Kelamente can technically play tackle if he has to. Uh, if an injury happens, you know, depending on the opponent, they could always kick Pete over to tackle and uh, and slide Kelamente in at, at guard again. And if they go to the jumbo set, they can put Kelamente in as that third tackle. But I think they really um, – they kept Harris around because they can do that with him. They can cut him and bring him back and not worry about some other team scooping him up, not worry about um, getting kind of screwed over, which is why they didn't pick up a player like a, an Eric Winston from the Bengals or, you know, make a move for kind of a, a more of a stable third tackle. I think that this can be playing with those roster spots. And when you talk about Kuhn a minute ago, uh, I think when, if Harris gets cut, and I expect him to get cut on Saturday, I, uh, I think Kuhn comes in on that cut. Um, you know, and Kuhn's just – the fullback plays, what, about 20, 25% of the snaps in this offense anyway? Um, that, yeah. 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 Who, man, who man can play is the H-back that can line up in the two tights formation, and he can always drop off the line to an offset to the strong or weak side, depending on what they want to do. Uh, for a power rushing formation, and you know, we've already heard rumors that they're going to be putting they're going to be putting two or three running backs on the field at the same time. So 
it wouldn't surprise me to see, say, Kamara and uh, and Ingram start off in a split backfield, with Kamara running over into the slot in formation. So there's a lot. That's what I was doing. It it could work out in a way much like several people have been talking about in uh, on the online communities where you see a Mark Ingram and an Adrian Peterson, a Adrian Peterson and Alvin Kamara, Alvin Kamara, Ingram sort of uh, set up to where you don't necessarily need that blocking fullback as such. In the, but I, I want to ask both of you guys your opinion on this uh, this theory. Say to you guys that, as Bob alluded to, in terms of depth at the offensive line positions, they've really narrowed it down. And, and I'm going to expand on this a little bit as we move on, but. Depth at the offensive line position is basically non-existent at this point. What does that say in terms of Monday night versus Minnesota, but also moving forward with the return of Teron Armstead, with uh, how delicately you're going to have to handle the snaps of a Max Unger at this point? I don't think you have to. Del- I don't think you have to handle Max Unger any which way. I think he's good to go. I think they expect him at full health. And I think what that says about Armstead, the fact they didn't put him on the pup list, uh, they didn't put him on the uh, the designated return and injury reserve list, they expect Armstead to show up maybe even when they go to London before the bye week. So I think what that says is the Saints have a lot of confidence in the health of this offensive line. Bob, how do you see it? Uh, no, I see it the exact same way. As long as Unger is a full go, uh, there's no reason to baby him along. You know, he's a, he's a Pro Bowl center. He's been nicked up the last few years. Uh, but if he's, if he's a full, full go for health, there's no reason why you have to limit his snaps. Um, and the, the only reason why depth is a concern right now, like you pointed out, Sean, is because of that one name, Teron Armstead. Uh, it does say a lot that they didn't uh, you know, injured reserve him with a designation for return or put him on the PUP list. Uh, so I expect him to, to see at least a couple snaps uh, in hopes by game three, uh, by their game three or four. Uh, but they're really thin until then. Uh, if they lose, say, you know, Minnesota's coming up. If they lose, say, two offensive linemen in the same game or for a couple quarters, which is not uncommon to happen, they're in a lot of trouble. Not at all. Yeah. That's that's not at all uncommon, especially in the first quarter of the yeah. season before these guys settle into the grind that is the marathon of a of a seventeen week season. That's not at all uncommon. Ask you this. Moving forward, you have two huge names right now. And I think that would be on offense to Ron Armstead and probably the most likely candidate on defense would be Stephon Anthony. It's already apparent that you're not going to put Armstead on the injured reserve. 
even with a designation. Do you do that with Stefan Anthony to clear up a spot to to uh, to allow you to add to of that position? Um, I think if if they were going to do that with Anthony, they would have done it already. Uh, yeah, since they were unable to trade him, uh, if his ankle, you know, high ankle sprain, it could, of course, it could get worse. If it gets worse, that that does remain a possibility, uh, because yeah, you know, I we don't see him getting a whole lot of reps uh, in the regular linebacker rotation uh, with the way Robertson, uh, Klein. Uh, Anzalone and even Teow have played. Uh, I don't see I don't see Stepan getting a lot of uh, got, getting a lot of reps there, short of injury. Um, Armstead, Armstead. What helps Armstead? What helps the Saints in regards to Armstead's situation is the e- even as thin as they are body wise. Alan, like you said, Calamiti could play all all three line positions. He can play uh, center mm-hmm. guard or tackle. They can slide Pete outside to tackle. So that does give them some options. Uh, and and as long as Ramchek plays all right, that they don't they don't have to rush Armstead back. Uh, and we all know that there's going to be injuries in these first couple of weeks. Uh, so as far as the flow of the situation, the flow of this roster, uh, these first couple of weeks, we're going to see guys go down. We just always keep our fingers pr- crossed that it's not going to be any big names and or for long periods of time. My biggest yeah. concern moving forward as far as Teron Anthony, or excuse me, <laughs> Teron Anthony, as Teron Armstead goes is, uh, the fact that we're not at all deep at the position, but there is the very real likelihood that see him for half of the season. And uh, to go cliche for a moment, you know, that's Drew's blind side. Okay, well, that's all fine and good. But yet and still, above and beyond that point, you're manning that with a rookie. Turn is that? Well, first off, because I didn't put him on IR designated return, I don't think that the Saints think he's going to be out for a half a season. I think the Saints are going to get him back pretty quickly. Um, you know, this is not a broken leg. This is not a knee injury. This was a labrum, torn labrum that happened during the off season, happened in the summertime. Um. Not as severe, obviously, as an injury to Drew Brees and his throwing shoulder, but for an offensive lineman, um, it's an injury you can recover from a little bit quicker. So I think they are going to play Russian roulette right now with the injury only because they don't need the roster spot right now, if that makes sense. There's no reason to put Anthony and Armstead on – any kind of roster exemption or injured reserve or anything like that, you can only just you can just simply deactivate them on game day right now. But you have their roster spot there. If injuries happen, like Bob was talking about, and then you start needing roster spots, then you start looking harder at an Anthony and say, well, you know, that high ankle sprain, let's see how it does respond to treatment. It's not responding very well. We're looking at maybe week eight or nine before he's fully recovered. Maybe we'll go ahead and put him on IR because we need the spot. Um, 
the guys at the bottom of the roster now, the the uh, Trey Edmonds, the Daniel Lascos, uh, the the uh, Devontae Harris, uh, those guys are the guys who are kind of, you know, even to an extent, Luribus, are kind of in that limbo land of, of the roster. If we need a spot, you know, that's the guys who might be in danger if, uh, if they need somebody in there, but yeah. they're not going to play with that part of the roster yet, unless they absolutely have to. And that's what you see during the season. And Coon and Daryl Tapp uh, were part of that. You know, um, that's why those two guys to let go, not because they weren't good enough to make the team, but because they needed the roster spots. So that, that's the kind of stuff they can be doing. Now I fielded. Uh... <laughs> I'm trying to be delicately politically correct here. I and put anyone on the spot, but clarify something. Uh, No, I don't. Never mind. Forget that. We're going to move right along. (laughs) All right. (laughs) From a week ago, uh, I I made two bold statements. Basically, um, my two bold choices so to speak, for making the 53-man roster course Adam Big Hill, which uh, there's still a spot over there in on the floor of under the dome studio complex here. There's still a spot over there on the floor where I spit when, I, when Bob actually sent me the message that said they cut Adam. That may have been where I turned over the candelabra. But anyway, um, <laughs> we were lighting candles for the man. Uh, the other choice that I made to uh, to surprise, shock everyone and make the 53-man roster was Darius Victor. Number one, first and foremost, I want to make it clear that I do not – in any way, shape, form, or fashion, disagree with this choice. I'll tell you why. <clears throat> Number one, uh, Darius Victor was a long shot to begin with. My reasoning before for including him as a long shot to make the 53-man roster, I, I honestly do, and I, I feel justified in the job that he did throughout the first three weeks of the preseason to put my mind in that spot to, to choose him for that. At the same time, um, number one, his performance against the Baltimore Ravens, for lack of a better way of putting it, and forgive me if this is blunt and succinct and to, to the point, um, I honestly feel like Darius Victor played himself out of a roster spot with his performance against the Baltimore Ravens. That's just my take on it. Um, But at the same time, we have to look at this, this sort of thing in context. Darius Victor made the 53-man roster. We're looking at the very real possibility that – he would have been 16 weeks and never been activated. Am I wrong for assuming that? 
Bob, why don't you go ahead and take that one? Um, oh, y'all no, know you're not, not me up in the middle of pieces, ain't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not wrong in assuming that at all. Um, and I think we could see that exact scenario play out with Trey Edmonds. Uh, Alan pointed out a, a few names at the back end of the roster yeah. uh, that could be somewhat of a revolving door for perhaps uh, up to even three quarters of the season. Uh, yeah, the, these guys, have, these guys on the back end of the roster, especially the young guys, all they've done was earn an extra shot at this point. They mm-hmm. have to continue to impress and practice and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, as far as Victor goes, I agree with you, Sean. A matter of fact, on my 53-man roster projection uh, a day or two before the official cuts, I had Victor beaten out Lasco too. I could, I could have seen the Saints go either way on that. Uh, I've heard all about this. We've all heard about the special teams, uh, you know, a, the special teams aspect of Lasco. Uh, I was just looking for a, from a pure running back perspective. Uh, yes. And when you asked me what, this, uh, what a couple of, su- of these surprise cuts were, probably my more accurate response would have been surprising who they kept. And that it did surprise me that they kept Trey Edmonds over Victor and, you know, right up there, you know, with the, uh, the quote-unquote active roster. Although when the three of us got together in the spring, one of the names that we dropped for a dark horse coming out of OTAs was Trey Edmonds and his abilities out of Absolutely. the back. So I'm glad to see him get a shot. Does that mean he's going to stick on that roster or see the field at all? Absolutely not. I just realized why Trey Edmonds made this roster. And and it was like a light that shone down from above. The reason that Trey Edmonds made this roster is because Bob Rose never put light on him. Never never individualized an article for him. I think that... uh, I think the Saints got tired of me calling Darius Victor Victor Butler. One thing, you know, because I must have said that. I must have said that about ten times. Um, well, I mean, you you have to look at these things, these roster cuts, and, and so on and so forth. Guys have gotten a lot of playing time in, in the preseason, and that's what preseason is about. <clears throat> at it in the context of the grind of a seventeen-week season. Uh, these guys that don't normally uh, fit in, you wouldn't normally see. The only way they're going to see the field, much less see the active roster on a Sunday, is if something goes terribly wrong. This guy gets hurt or uh, fumbles two times in a game. Uh, And in in the case of Darius Victor, you got to see it for what it is against the returning leading rusher for the team a year ago, the first 1,000-yard rusher since 2006 when Deuce McAllister did it, in Mark Ingram, uh, competing with Ingram for uh, for snaps is a first-ballot, unanimous-choice Hall of Fame inductee sometime five years after he retires, in Adrian Peterson. That's who you're competing with for playing time, for roster time, to get to suit up on Sunday. And and that's just the reality of it. Now, moving right along, I want to vent. May I do that? (laughs) 
Well, you know, when I when I picked mine, I knew they were going to keep five backs, but I always had Kuhn in that listing of five backs, so I was a little yeah. surprised to see Edmonds in there over Kuhn, um, even though Kuhn is technically still kind of on the team, but not officially on the team. I mean, there's a, there was a Twitter story not long ago, a Twitter report not long ago, that Kuhn was having dinner with the Saints team. So, you know, he's hanging around, and there's an understanding when they let him go that, hey, we're going to bring you back when we can. Um, you know, I watched Lasco, Cadet, Kuhn, I Kuhn, I'm sorry, uh, Edmonds, and but- Victor. You know, and again, Victor Butler. Darius Victor, all on the special team side, to see how they played on special teams. If you watch, you'll see Edmonds running down quickly like a gunner, okay? You see Lasco down there, all right? They tried. I never saw Victor on as a as on the on the um, I don't know what you would call it. I guess the the special team side with the running down kicks. I saw him line up as a returner, but never saw him go down running down kicks. And to me, that was a huge red flag because if you're not on that side where you're a gunner or you're running down to stop kicks then you're probably not going to make the team as a special teams player unless you're just an outstanding returner. And he just yeah. didn't he didn't do the, the, the returns the way, say, uh, um, oh, you know, even Devontae Harris did a little bit of better, you know, kick return than, than, uh, than Victor. So that was a red flag for me. That's why I was not surprised to see him go. I was surprised to see Edmonds make it because except for the Baltimore game, I didn't see him out there that often, but I'm not watching every practice, so I don't know what he did in practice. And, you know, Sean Payton warned you it was going to be your entire body of work, not just your performance in this, in this preseason game. So The thing that stuck out to me the most to me or the thing that it – the first – thing that my mind went to I heard that they had cut Victor was quite simply the thought that Sean Payton knew that this guy was not going to get what he wanted so to speak out of this opportunity he wasn't going to supplant Ingram he wasn't going to supplant Kamara he wasn't going to supplant Adrian Peterson it, to give this guy a chance to earn him well, you were going to be inactive because you've got 45 active on game day. You were going to be inactive anyway. So, yeah. you know, and the Saints have shown a tendency, and we can talk about this, you know, all night, but the Saints have shown a tendency of undrafted free agents making this team, especially running backs. Oh, yeah. You know, you go to Pierre Thomas, uh, Chris Ivory, Kyrie Robinson, just go down the list. Uh, you know, even Tavares Cadet. These are all guys who are undrafted free agents. So the Saints feel like we'll get another Butler. I mean, <laughs> Victor. We'll get another Victor. We'll get another Edmonds. So it's not a position where the Saints say, this guy was so good, he has to make the team. This is a guy who is somebody a lot like a player we'll probably find in next year's undrafted free agent class. So, 
that's just kind of how I look at it. It's, it's a horrible way. It's a business way of looking at the roster. But you know the same success at finding these running backs. So they're going to find another one, another Chris Ivory, another Pierre Thomas, a player like that. And like you said, they just don't have the, uh, the roster space for a guy who can only play, really play running back, isn't that great of a receiver, isn't a good special teams guy. And that's, that's ultimately what it boils down to. Hey, but let's talk a little bit about before we get on Big Hill, because I know y'all are dying to talk about Big Hill. But let's talk about yep. the two guys that the Saints did pick up, uh, kind of a surprise one, and the other guy, uh, Carr, who seems to have been the preseason Mr. August uh, for receivers this year. Uh, let's talk about those two guys, especially with, in, given uh, – Willie Sneed's unexpected suspension that the Saints somehow knew about happened in Kenner of all places, and no one knew this in the Saints media, the team, any of the reporters covering this. No one knew about this at all. And I did. You knew about this? I did. All the way in North Louisiana. I'm like 20 minutes away from Kenner, and I didn't, brah. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know about this. So uh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my 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 back my uh, my background is out. I guess we'll have to move on from that. Uh, I'll be targeted now. Um, but anyway, I'm sorry. I interrupted. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Let's let's forward this. Um, uh, Bob, what do you think about uh, Carr? And uh, the quarterback we picked up from the Green Bay Packers. Um, I, I only had a chance to watch a little bit of film on Carr, but you called him Mr. August, and uh, that that's about right. Uh, as much as the uh, the Saints under Sean Payton have had a reputation for free agent finds at running back, uh, the the Patriots are normally a t- the type of team under Belichick to fill out uh, their receiving core with two or three you know undrafted or, or uh, lowly regarded guys, uh, and. It seems like, from everything I've heard anyway, it seems like that uh, a lot of the New England fan base uh, and even people a little bit closer to the team than that uh, were very surprised that Hall was let go, especially after Edelman's injury because that was that moved everybody up a slot. Uh, I think it was a situation, and similar with the, uh, with the Green Bay quarterback, Hill, that we'll get into in a second. Uh, I think that uh, Belichick, Belichick was out Belichick by Peyton. Uh, he planned on sneaking him through waivers and maybe getting him onto the practice squad uh, for a little bit of seasoning. And uh, so that way he would still have a talent there to kind of slide up onto the active roster. Um, but I've liked what I've seen out of Hall. You know, he runs a lot of, uh, a lot of quick, short, intermediate routes. But then again, that's the Patriot system. That mm-hmm. would, alongside, not that we expect him to supplant, you know, he's certainly not going to take snaps away from Michael Thomas or Brandon Coleman, uh, or even Tommy Lee Lewis, or that guy wearing number 19 now. Um, <laughs> from now on. But, uh, but I mean... Is that... Uh, uh, the, the midget guy's na- number now? Uh, no. Oh, Tommy Lee's 11. Yeah, he's 11. 11. Yeah, he, according to the unofficial roster, he's changed it to 11. Yeah. Which uh, I expect there's a few players who are going to change numbers. Uh, 
because this is the week to do it. Uh, I'm kind of hoping Kamara dumps 41 and picks up a better number, like 42 or 30 or 34 or, or 32, something like that. I don't like that. Kamara changed too. That's uh, I don't know. He hasn't yet. I hope he does. Yeah. Because he needs to be number 47. 47. That's uh, 47. Come on. It's logic. It's Anzalone. You got Anzalone at 47. Right, right. And I'm not a fan of the linebackers wearing 40s either, but, you know, that's, oh. that's, that's me too. That's, that's old school me. Um, yeah, I think the same way. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think Hall, uh, Hall could be a potential investment for the future. Uh, again, I, I, I like the route tree that he runs. Uh, he fit, he fit that new England offense in the preseason. Well, uh, because their, their offensive production, but the Patriots I'm talking about their offensive production really doesn't change a whole lot. I mean, Brady, just like breeze gets very, very little playing time in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they run the same identical offense. They, they don't, uh, they don't tinker around with very much. Their game plan is their game plan. Uh, so hall fits that well. Uh, could it be any coincidence that the Saints are playing the New England Patriots in week two as well? Uh, we see a lot of uh, a lot of counterintelligence by a lot of NFL teams, you know, that do that. Uh, they'll poach people off other teams' practice squads and things like that, especially early in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll be, be interested to see what Hall could add, uh, you know, if uh, if given the opportunity. Um, and then uh, Hill at a at a Green Bay. I, this is just a flyer on another young quarterback to see if they can catch lightning in a bottle. I think, uh, I mean, he did play pretty well during the preseason. Um, but I, it, it's still, it's still Breeze's show the film and, and the little that I've seen out of Hill, he sure as heck played a lot better than, uh, than saints fans saw out of either Ryan Nassib or, uh, Garrett Grayson. So, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to try to bring in a young quarterback to see if he can develop, you already know what you had in Grayson. You already know what you had in Nassib. Uh, this kid Hill, um, Tesom, am I pronouncing that right? Tesom Hill. Uh, he's put out some good film out there. Bring him in. Let's see what he does in this offense. There's no harm in doing in that. No, you know, not at all. The uh, the Saints seem to like poaching quarterbacks from Green Bay, and maybe yeah. because Mike McCarthy's offensive system is very similar to the Saints. In fact, I call the Green Bay Packers and the Saints basically mirror image team. That's why the games between us and the Packers are generally so good, because we both do a lot of the same things. We both do a lot of the same things well. Yeah. And Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees both are two quarterbacks playing top of the game. So the Saints kind of take an interest in Packers quarterbacks to see, well, we know what this guy looks like in Green Bay system. He'll probably be able to do the same thing in ours mm-hmm. and kind of get a feel of their mental, you know, their mental grasp of the game and see how it fits in. Is this guy a quarterback of the future? I doubt it. Um, I, I think the Saints quarterback of the future is probably playing in college football right now. Yeah. Um, I think this is a guy they just want to stay. They're going to take a play at junior high football right now. <laughs> well, it's a guy they're going to take a flyer on just to see what he does. And if they need a roster spot, he's another name. Unfortunately, he's another name that will probably get cut pretty quickly. I mean, we had that guy, what was it, Joe Callahan, I think his name was, um, yeah. last year. I was going to ask 
you know, we grabbed him. Saints fans were already lining up to buy his jersey. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was going to be the quarterback of the future. He's not quite – he doesn't quite have the record. The record has to be that guy – I could never <laughs> remember his name – that defensive tackle who lasted a day who could do backflips and cartwheels and stuff. But he was like 300 pounds. And Saints fans – this is background on SaintsReport.com. Saints fans were like calling to the next Reggie White. They were making the bust for him in Canton. They were making the you know Saints Hall of Fame bust for him, and he lasted a whole day, one day, and that's all. And he was gone. Who is gonna hit me back? Ah, so but <laughs> as far as as far as Carr, I think it's interesting. When I tweeted out when I saw you know they they were surprised that uh, the Patriots let him go. I said, well, Belichick's busy collecting uh, guys under six feet tall who run sub four fours because he's got Cooks and he's got Cooks' poor man, younger brother, uh, um, uh, Dorsett, Philip Dorsett. I almost called him Tony Dorsett. Philip Dorsett, you know, both of them pretty much the same kind of player, same kind of receiver, speed guys running about two or three routes out of the route tree. Um you know, it's almost like he's re- recreating the old Washington Redskins Smurf receiving core with these guys. So, you know, Carr is 6'1", about 200, and I think I just looked at it a second ago, 20. Okay, the guy at 195. I read 205 last time. So, you know, you, um, I think it's something interesting that, you know, Saints can play with and see how he fits on the team. Uh, I don't expect him to have much of an impact at all in Minnesota if he's even active. But I think against New England, he'll probably play. And I think uh, you if make he an plays well. Hmm. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, Al. Hmm. Uh, you make an interesting segue. Um, right now, for the New Orleans Saints lead to many – I cannot for the life of me. Even, even after I looked it up twice today – the name of the stadium, I can't remember. All roads lead to Minnesota. That's pretty broad. Um, Monday night football, as Alan alluded to earlier. Um, Anyway, uh, the New Orleans Saints and the Minnesota Vikings square off one-on-one. And I want to first go to Bob, whose work you guys can follow on Canal Street Chronicles, by the way, and we'll get uh, get all his follow information in at the end of the show. But, Bob, what do you see as the priority number one for the New Orleans Saints to be able to walk out of Minneapolis this Monday with a win? Get turnovers early. Get turnovers mm-hmm. early. Um this Minnesota defense is one of the better defenses on the Saints schedule. It's one of the better defenses in the league. Uh, Mike Mike Zimmer, uh, the uh, Vikings head coach, he's been an accomplished defensive coordinator and defensive guy throughout his whole NFL career. Uh, this Minnesota defense is probably probably going to hold their own against New Orleans offense. Uh, the New Orleans defense, thankfully. We're not talking about Air Coriel uh, with Sam Bradford and the you know in this in this Minnesota team, 
they're unproven at running back, although they have some young talent. Uh, they have a lot of speed, but unproven uh, for the most part at wide receiver. And, guys, I'm not a big Sam Bradford fan at all, uh, Mr. Dink and Dunk himself. Um, no. But Minnesota is weak, weaker along the offensive line. Uh, we saw a lot of increased team speed out of New or- the New Orleans defense all preseason uh, on not just the, this third and fourth team units, but these, the, these starters, these first and second team guys. They, can really, they showed that they could really get after the passer. That needs to continue. They need to get a turnover or two in the first half and convert, you know, to give Breeze a short field and maybe an easy score. That is key. Now, I mean, winning the turnover battle is always the key. This time, you got you're on the road Monday night season opener. You got to get a turnover early. Absolutely. Uh, and thank you, Jerry, for for uh, showing me that it is U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. Uh, my man, Jerry, on the spot. Thanks, but. Alan, how about you? What do you see as being priority one in get, walking out of Minnesota with a win? Uh, you have to control the clock, and you have to be able to run the football, which I think they're going to be able to do. Uh, we know the Saints can throw the ball over the field. Uh, they're going to still be able to do that against Minnesota's defense. But the key will be running the football. Success early, because Peyton tends to back away from the – running game if he doesn't get a lot of success early. And I'm talking about three to five yard a carry kind of success. If we are getting one, one and a half, and end up on second and third down with eight or, eight or more yards to go, he will tend to um, tend to start relying more on the passing game, trick plays to get first downs, uh, a lot of underneath throws and wheel routes and, and swing routes and things like that, uh, screen passes, because we can't generate a running game going. So we need to consistently force, uh, on offense, we need to consistently force third and four or less, uh, you know, to get a lot of success in this game. Um, defensively, we this is a game we should rack up some sacks. If this offense, I mean, if this defense is really improved and we have a pass rush, and part of the reason why we have all these uh defensive ends is to generate this pass rush. If we really have a pass rush, this is going to be the game to get them, get the sacks, because Sam Bradford is not a mobile quarterback. He hold he tends to hold the ball too long, waiting for routes to develop. Uh, the Vikings have good receivers. But Brad, one of the reasons why Bradford dinks and dunks is because a pass rush will get to him. So he's going to try and unload the ball quickly. And if he's trying to get into those receivers, he's not going to uh, he's not going to be the kind of quarterback who can generate his own, uh, I guess, make his own time like a like a extended play like a, a Ben Roethlisberger or Drew Brees. He's going to be a guy who's going to sit in that pocket and try and get rid of that ball quickly to avoid the pass rush. So I would hope to see at least four sacks tonight, uh, Monday night. As you alluded to, um, my New Orleans getting on top early and staying on top is defense, defense, defense. Um, and you can read about that on my article on profootballspot.com. 
product plug. Anyway. Hey, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I am the lead uh, lead lead writer and uh, staff manager for the New Orleans Saints on ProFootballSpot.com. Follow us. Uh, anyway, if you guys um, – y'all can check me if I'm wrong here. As Bob kind of alluded to earlier, the offensive line of the Minnesota Vikings is probably one of the – least respected over the past season or two. I think that given what we've seen in the preseason, that is absolutely a point that you can not only expand upon, but exploit. You have to get into Sam Bradford's face. I'm an Oklahoma Sooners diehard fan. I spent, uh, I grew up in Oklahoma. God help me, but Hey, anyway, Sam Bradford is a all those years in St. Louis. And if you go back and you watch his video footage, as much as I think of the guy, I can only call what I see. And Sam comes out ready to go, fired up at the beginning. Something goes wrong. That head comes down a little bit. Okay, we come back out. This, 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 this goes wrong. That head just keeps getting lower. And it's kind of like that scene out of the movie um, The Replacements with Keanu Reeves with the quicksand. You're so far down that you can't pull yourself out. And that's the kind of sort of the same way that I feel about Sam Bradford. If you can get to him early, if you can rattle him early, what do you think, Bob? No, I completely agree with that, uh, and that kind of goes that that ties perfectly in with what both Alan and I pointed out. Uh, Alan was talking about uh, how vital it is to get pressure on the guy uh, and make him comfortable. And uh, from what I have seen out of Bradford over the years. Uh, even as I rooted against Oklahoma. Um, uh, oh, God. If Bradford throws a pick early or you know, starts spraying the ball all over the place, he, he's an accurate quarterback when he's, given, sure. you know, when he's given time. You rattle him a little bit and you get to him early. And like you said, I've seen it too. You know, the head comes down a little bit. Uh, he starts spraying the ball all over the place. And – I, I don't think people. I don't think people realize exactly how much of a toll those years in St. Louis took on Sam Bradford. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, he took he, he took, took a beating when he was in at, when he was with the Rams, and he left the Rams when he went to Philadelphia, and when he subsequently when he went to Minnesota. I've seen it in his game, one hundred and ten percent. Not just. Something that shows up every night, every time. Some, something goes wrong, something goes wrong. And before you know it, it's an avalanche. And that's the biggest reason why Minnesota's entire season fell in around them a year ago was because Bradford lost all focus on the task at hand, in my opinion. Hey, you know. Well, 
if you can get Bradford to look at the rush instead of uh, instead of looking downfield as receivers, you've got the game won. And that's what happened in the second half of the season to the Minnesota Vikings. After they came out, uh, what, what were they five and zero, something like that? They they were either five and zero or six and one. They're really impressive. They're six and zero. Really impressive the first half of the season. In fact, a lot of people had them as a dark horse NFC champion, and suddenly it just the wheels came off. And part of the reason why the wheels came off is because Bradford started getting hit. And once you start hitting him, and this is the key again with the pass rush, once you start hitting him, now he's going to be looking at the rush instead of looking downfield as receivers. Now he's going to start doing dump-offs a lot more. One player we did not mention who isn't going to be a threat for the Vikings is uh, Delvin Cook. You know Delvin Cook is going to try and play a game uh, because this is the Adrian Peterson revenge tour. Uh, this is all going to be about Peterson. Uh, even if Ingram starts, when Peterson comes out, um, there'll be cheers and boos, uh, and Peterson's going to be motivated. Delvin yeah. Cook is going to be out there trying to make plays to justify the Vikings saying the Vikings made the right choice by putting me out there. Peterson's old. Peterson's Yesterday, I'm the. You might as well put Chuck Foreman out there. I'm the new guy. You know, Robert Smith, all the rest of those old Vikings running backs. Don't worry about them. I'm the guy. I'm the guy who's going to carry this team. So, if the Saints and by the same token, Sean Payton's going to give Adrian Peterson the opportunity to say, "You guys effed up when you cut me." Oh yes, this is what I got left. Absolutely, and I, I brought this out in a week ago, or excuse me, yesterday, I brought this out in my article that um, as I'm losing my uh, my signal. Uh-oh. I can still hear you. You guys hear me? Yep, we can still hear yeah. you. Yes. Okay, well, I'll just make my point us? without giving you the uh, – Making you guys bear the weight of having to look at me, I'll make my point. Hang on. Looking at myself, I guess. We can see Okay, now I've lost my entire train of thought. What were we talking about? <laughs> you were talking about Peterson. You were talking about Adrian Peterson. Um Adrian Peterson, don't don't be misled. All those Saints fans that think we're going to march into Minneapolis and Sean Payton's going to give him 35 to 40 carries to shove it down his former team's throat, into that, you're going to be sadly, sadly uh, disappointed. But by the same token, Adrian, if you look back, uh, a, a prime example is a year ago when we played the San Francisco 49ers. Tim Hightower on our team. No, excuse me, not the 49ers, the Arizona Cardinals. When mm -hmm. we played the Cardinals and we had Tim Hightower on our team, Sean Payton gave 
Hightower the opportunity to make the statement that he felt like he needed to make to this organization, to this fan base, there in their stadium. Don't you think for a minute Adrian Peterson is not going to be not just another part of the game plan, but he will absolutely be given his touches. He will be given the opportunity to be the deciding factor. And thing that I I want you guys to remember from me, I've never said this on, on our show before, but Adrian Peterson was brought to New Orleans purpose, as I see it. And you guys can hate me and spit on, spit at me. You're not going to spit on me. You can be as vehement as you want to, but when it all boils down to the 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 simplest terms, Adrian Peterson was brought to New Orleans for one primary purpose. He was brought here to be a difference maker. Here to lead this team in rushing. He wasn't brought here to lead this team in touchdowns, to do this, to do he was brought here to be that point in the scheme that tipped it into the favor of the Florida League. And that's that's the only job that he has. That may mean two carries, that may mean carries. It that is his only job is to be the difference maker. Bob, you want to take that one? They'd uh, yeah, I, yeah. His purpose here is to be uh, to be the closer. His purpose here is absolutely to be the closer. Um, and I think during the course of the season, I mean, heck, you know, Sean Payton during his whole career in New Orleans, he loves a back by committee. I hate the term, uh, but it, it it's fitting. Uh, it's fitting a lot of years he's been in New Orleans, a back-by-committee approach. He will ride the hot hand um, because that's one of, one of Ingram's primary complaints is that he, he, uh, he's the type of back that gets into a rhythm the more carries that he gets. And it's been difficult to do that in New Orleans if he's had to share snaps with a Chris Ivory or a Kyrie Robinson or a Pierre Thomas or a, even a Darren Sproles. Uh, we could if Peterson has some pop left in his legs, and you guys know that I'm still I'm still on the fence of that one. I, I need to see it. Uh, but Peterson was brought here to be the closer. He's no longer the 25 to 30 carry uh, per game back that he was in his prime in Minnesota. He is. If the Saints have a 10 point lead late in the third quarter, you're going to see a lot of Adrian Peterson through the fourth quarter. Uh, that power running style. Um, and if I, if I was a slightly braver man, I would bet the house that Peterson will see the end zone against the Minnesota Vikings. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, unless, unless something funky happens, Adrian Peterson will score a touchdown. Now, like you said, Sean, he might only get five touches this game. I highly doubt it. I think this will be one of his higher touch games per, uh, per the course of the year. But during the course of the year – Ingram is still going to be going into every game as your number one back. The two to three series that he plans on giving Peterson, if Peterson shows that pop, if he has the hot hand, Peyton will ride with him. My, my, I, 
I was going to say, my, my, my ideal is, yeah, Peterson plays the Mike Bell role, which means that um, after the uh, defense gets tired of chasing Kamara around, gets tired of uh, Ingram uh, catching the underneath passes and running out off the uh, between the A and B gaps, Peterson comes in with fresh legs to stop pounding that defense and running clock. And that's a hell of a thing to look at is – a fresh Adrian Peterson coming off the bench for 10 to 12 carries a game to uh, close it out. That being said, that doesn't mean Peterson doesn't get any touches early in the game. I think there are going to be some possessions where Peterson is the primary back. Uh, depending on the, and depending on the situation in the game, um, it, you know, the, the depth chart unofficially has um, – Peterson and Ingram is one and one A as the quote unquote starters. Uh, yeah, and you know I think that's out of respect sure. because we've seen and I, I posted this in a, in a chat earlier. Except for Drew Brees, the offensive line and maybe Cam Jordan, there are no starters on this team. Um, the receivers are mix and match depending on the situation where they line up. Uh, Michael Thomas can be in the slot for all we know. Yes, he's their X receiver for the most part, but he can line up in the slot if they got the mismatch they want. Uh, the running backs rotate. Uh, the tight ends rotate. Uh, we definitely see the secondary rotating because you've got three safeties. I saw him play all three positions. The linebackers rotate based on uh, down and distance because Klein starts off for example, as a strong side linebacker. Then when they go to nickel, he kicks the inside and becomes the middle linebacker. Uh, we've seen the quote-unquote NASCAR package where they've got all four pass rushers. Uh, I already talked about Okafor coming in the inside with um, uh, Kihaka on the uh, outside as a pass rusher. We've seen M. Jordan inside. Uh, you know, I don't doubt that on third and long situations, you'll probably see Jordan Rankins, Okafor, and Kahaka, with sometimes even Muhammad coming in. Um, you know, of course, Hendrickson uh, rotates in. So, I mean, it, it, everyone changes. Everything changes. So, you know. Well, let me let me let me, let me be the one to uh, to throw you guys under the bus, Bob. Okay. Do you want to throw yourself out there and give a prediction? For the game? For, for no, the for for the war between the North and uh, Cersei Lannister. What do you think, man? <laughs> <laughs> talking about the season, too. Um, I, I think the Saints. No, I'm talking about Saints, uh, Monday Night Football, Saints versus Minnesota Vikings. Okay. Would you like to go to, uh, to throw a, a prediction out there? Yeah, um, I think the Saints come into I think the Saints come into Minnesota, uh, and I I would be shocked if they don't walk out with the victory. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Minnesota is no pushover. We've already talked about their defense, especially, um, and uh, well, th this Saints team has not been very good at season openers the last few years. I think that they know how important a good start is for such a young team, and. I think that the Peterson factor, the Peterson factor is more important, 
than I think some people realize. Yeah, there's the quote-unquote revenge, but that trickles down when you have a veteran leader like that, and he's, he's probably a clubhouse leader. That's going to be infectious through the whole team. That whole team is going to come out hyped. I do believe that they're going to get to Bradford early, knock him around. Uh, I think we're going to see some improved defensive play like we have seen in the preseason, and I think they're going to get their turnovers. Uh, I'm going to go – they'll beat Minnesota 24 to 24 to 20. Alan? Um, I was just looking up something here. Um, oh, no, I don't. Think, no, don't try to travel on me. No, I was trying to see. I think Sean Payton's. I think I read Sean Payton's opening uh, record, opening day record is like six and five, or something. Yeah, like it's, that. Pretty, it's pretty it's, close it's, to being fifty-fifty. Yeah, it's about five hundred. Which, if you think about it, the Saints, only won two opening days uh, from nineteen sixty-seven to nineteen seventy-eight. Um, you know, so and one of them happened to be against the Minnesota Vikings in 1978. Um, God, that's depressing as hell. Yeah. So the Saints traditionally hadn't done well opening night, uh, opening day, their first game of the season. I think, like Bob said, it's very important that the Saints win um, because we've seen when the Saints start out at one and three in those first four games. Uh, I think the, they've made the playoffs one time, if if they made it at all. Whereas the Saints start off three and one or better, uh, you know they make the playoffs every time. So this is an important game. This is a very winnable game. Um, I think emotions can be very high on the Saints team. They need to get this game, so I think they win. I think it's a close game. Unless yeah. the Saints win the turnover battle, then they can break this game open. If they don't win the turnover battle, this will be a close game, a nail-biter with uh, Lutz having to kick the game-winning field goal possibly or, you know, Breeze having to get a last-minute drive to win. Um, so I'm not going to predict the score because I'm terrible at that. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to predict the Saints I win. Can, I can completely relate to that. I just so that you guys know, I don't do uh, 45, 43. You know, no, no. Um, and I'm, I missed by like 35 points, I think. <laughs> I did it when we went on the, uh, the C3 podcast. They right. always asked me for my prediction on it, and I, I predicted like a 20-point win, and we got beat by – Something, I, I don't know. Uh, I digress. Uh, I think this is a very winnable game for the New Orleans Saints. I think that they are going to have to capitalize on what has been what I consider to be the overriding narrative of the preseason. The speed, the determined and focused defense that we have seen in this preseason at, up to and including especially the defensive line. These got, uh, oh, my God, seventh-round draft pick. Uh, roll the dice, take a shot. This guy 
has absolutely made a career for himself on it. Um, you're going to have to capitalize on that. And kudos to the new uh, defensive line coach who I <laughs> who I forgot to write his name down. Thanks, guys. Uh, uh, I'm going to fire my research department. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, as Matt Ulrich spring of my esteemed colleague here pointed out today, the the number one, first and foremost, most important key to this game is going to be the defensive line of the New Orleans Saints versus the offensive line of the Minnesota Vikings. Most, um, I, I don't know what 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 terminology to use here. The most. In, in all of the matchups across the board, that, those are the, the furthest separated. Maybe uh, maybe a way to look at it. But, uh, Bob, please, my brother, tell these people how to follow you so we can feed my nephew. Uh, well, th- thank you again, guys. <laughs> thank you again, guys, for having me on the show. Um, you can oh, follow right. our work oh, at uh, Canal Street Chronicles. <laughs> Which is uh, uh is up through Facebook or at Saint CSC on Twitter, uh, and uh, I I myself am also on Facebook uh, individually, and my work is at Twitter at b o b b y twenty six thirteen. No, I'm sorry, b o b b y r twenty six thirteen. Bobby r twenty six thirteen. Holy heck! Are we gonna have to get Lauren to come come? Sub you out like that, man? We we probably do need to become a tag team duo. Well, Lauren would probably be the, the the most photogenic of the pair. But I mean, you you I even shaved tonight because I knew you were going to be on here with your Don Johnson looking self, and I I had to say, well, you know, got to compete on my own show. That what's wrong with this picture? Uh, uh, as far as what she brings, she brings the brains, the beauty, the personality. Uh, I bring the weathered, beaten down experience. <laughs> I, Alan, I can't add to that, man. I, I, I'm at a loss. <laughs> well, Bob, I appreciate. We appreciate as always you me on. Uh, you're always welcome to come back because you are the unofficial third member of Under the Dome. Um, you. you know, it, it's. It's one of these things where this is the first game of the season, so pretend football is over with. Um, we are going to see how this defense really looks now. Um, you know, we saw a lot of optimism there. Um, I'm interested to see uh, how well the secondary holds up. I'm interested to see how well this linebacking core uh, plays because one of the things that we saw a lot of uh, – during the preseason was if they threw a four-yard pass, the linebackers were right there to bring them down for four yards, and it was fourth down on third and eight. Uh, anything that, There was one thing that drove me crazy for the past, I don't know, entire time Sean Payton has been uh, head coach and going back to the hassle <laughs> years too, um, is a four-yard That's pass a becomes – Yeah, well, the four-yard pass becomes a uh, eight- to ten-yard gain – because we miss a tackle 
or we give such a soft cushion, we've got guys playing the other side of the sticks waiting for the back to come to them. Um, we actually have guys with speed now, so I'd like to see this continue. Um, because this season the field, will be decided yeah, on intermediate pass coverage. Right. Getting off the field on third down is critical. Uh, and tackling guys, not giving up much yard, yards after the catch is critical. So with all that being said, we're like way over time. We're looking at 921 now. Um, all that being said, uh-huh. I think this that we're going to see that uh, Monday night. I think we're going to see that kind of performance. I'm just hoping the offense doesn't take too long to kind of get to the groove and get going uh, because I think the – the offense can control the clock. That keeps our defense fresh. That keeps our defense uh, uh, puts Minnesota in a passing situation, takes away from their strength, which is probably running the football, um, and it gets puts our defense in, a, believe it or not, a position of strength where we can rush the passer and turn loose blitzes. So let's see if that plays out for us. Um, Sean, any final thoughts? Yes, there is, as a matter of fact. Before we go, I want to invite you all to join us Saturday night, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, for our annual season kickoff. I'm trying to get this right. Season kickoff special. We will have, as a very special guest, uh, the beat writer for the New Orleans for the Saints, for the Times Picayune, Herbie Teope. Well, it's Nola.com uh, now. There really is no Picayune left, but Nola.com. Okay, what he said. And uh, I, I haven't officially extended this as well, but uh, seeing how, as John Butler put it, uh, it would be a lot easier for. Uh, Say just exactly when Bob isn't going to be on the show. I I want to extend the invitation to Bob to join us with Herbie in the first hour of our uh, our kickoff show next week. Uh, Bob, you can dwell on that as you will. Or we're going to do as we did last year our NFC South roundtable discussion, where we will be joined by Mel, Joey and Tony from the Carolina Cat Chronicles, who, uh, by the way, they're our sponsors. Uh, and also from the Pewter Plank, or excuse me, Walk, uh, Buck What You Heard, Eugene Thomas from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, also from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, David Harrison, who's also... Uh, with me at profootballspot.com. Atlanta Falcons, we have David Schultz joining us. Uh, we want to invite you all to be a part of what we're doing. Uh, it's very special to us. We did it kind of uh, kind of on a whim a year ago. I was sunburnt and in a really bad mood with a blasting headache and Tequila can solve any problem. But anyway, uh, we want to invite you guys. 8 p.m. Central Standard Time through 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. Next week, join us for the 2017 
off special, you will see myself. Well, you know, if it's a deal breaker, Shroud, you can just have, be the voice in the corner. But also, we're going to be joined by Alan Ulrich, uh, all the guys I mentioned before, and we're going to basically break down the Saints and the NFC South season as it will be, and look at at, at the the entire NFL season. Probably make a few predictions and have a lot of fun. We always enjoy hanging out with you guys and being a part of your Tuesday nights. Alan? Thank you guys for joining us, joining us yet again. Um, we look forward to seeing you, of course, Saturday night for our preview special. Of course, a game will have been played already, the Thursday night game between the, uh, the Chiefs and the uh, Patriots. But – and we've also learned that one game will be canceled. Uh, the, the Bucks and the uh, Dolphins will not play the first week because of Hurricane Imra. Ima. No, Imra. Alan. Imra, sorry. And, um, Alan, Alan, I'm but, sorry to interrupt you. I, I heard rumors today from, as per Hobie, Herbie, yes, Kiyoki, I, yeah, that that a, could very possibly be shifted to the New Orleans Superdome. It's a possibility, but they they also know that the, the uh, Dolphins and the Buccaneers happen to have the same bye week, which is week eleven. So that is the other possibility. They may just wait and play that game in week eleven. Um, so we'll see how this plays out. But regardless, join us for the preview special. Uh, we'll talk about the upcoming season. We'll talk a little bit about the Patriots uh, and what they did. And, uh, of course, the fun part, the roundtable with all the NFC South teams, sorry, NFC South teams, and it should be a good night. Uh, I'll try not to insult the Atlanta Falcons representative again like I did last year. So, (laughs) um, I won't bring up. You pissed him off and didn't whip your ass. How does that work? Because I got 25 points. I mean, no, you can't say that. I can think of 28 to three I reasons like I why, really you know. I, I felt like I should have been, I felt like I should have been, like, put on a podium and possibly considered for tweet of the week when I tweeted out um, the other night that, hey, Texas A&M, Atlanta called and wants their team back. Hey, yeah. at its best. That was, that was good. You know, that one in the one that, uh, and uh, A&M, Atlanta looked at the A&M's team and said, those are the guys we need on our team. So, <laughs> anyway. David's not to me in now. No, I know they're not. I know they're not. But the, the Carolina the Carolina people and the Tampa people are loving this. Anyway, guys, thank you all for joining us. Uh, once again, thank you, Bob, for taking time and looking so fresh and clean. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Either you just came back from work. Yeah, you made something uh, look like scrub. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, well, it's that windblown hair look he's got. <laughs> anyway, it's probably because he's he's likely two decades younger than both of us. Probably, probably. Anyway, thank you guys for joining. Hey, us. let's see you this this awesome. Yeah. At, by the time you get this old, yeah. Will you will you let me finish? All right. Thank you guys for joining us, and as always, y'all have a good night.
and we'll see you next time on Under the Dome. Good night, everybody.